I genuinely uh, want to be a good person. I think most of us do, right? We want to be good people. Um, I want to get it right. Okay? I want to be right about the things that I'm doing. I want to know how to do the right things. Okay, and so we start with knowledge, right? I have to understand what's right and wrong before I can choose to do the right thing, right? So I want to make sure that I have the right knowledge. We have to sort out all the various belief systems, make sure that we believe the right things. If I want to be a good person, I have to have good knowledge. Okay, but then we realize that's only half the battle. Because even when I know what's right and wrong, I still have to have the will, I have to have the heart to choose the right thing. Okay, for instance, I know intellectually that I should eat right and exercise, okay, and yet there's ice cream and Netflix that say to me, why don't you just take a seat? Okay, and so it's not enough just to know what's right, I also have to apply my will, my drive, my heart to doing what's right. Okay, you think about the athletes who have been competing in the Olympics these last few weeks. Okay, they know the right things to do because of coaching and studying, right? You have to study your craft. If you're going to dive or whatever you're going to do, you have to study how to do it and know the right things to do. But it's not enough just to have the right knowledge. You also have to have the right drive. Okay, you have to have the want to. Those athletes get up and practice even on the mornings when they don't feel like getting up and practicing because they have a drive, they have a heart. We have to have knowledge, and we have to have drive. And so in life, I feel that if I could just learn the right things, have the right knowledge, and then combine that with the right heart and determination, then I could live righteously. And with so many of the failings that I have, I can either trace it back to I didn't have the right knowledge, I didn't know what I should have known, or more often, I just wasn't trying hard enough. And so we fail. But when we fail, we think, okay, now I've learned from my mistake. I've learned from my failure. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to make sure that I know what's right. And by trying even harder, I can be righteous. Okay, but what happens? I fail again. Okay, and that's where Paul left us in Romans chapter 7. We talked about this a week ago. Because Paul asks the question, he says, okay, even if God gave you clear instructions about what's right and wrong, okay, which, by the way, he did, right? He gave us the law, the perfect law. He came down to earth on Mount Sinai, gave us the perfect law. Even if we had the perfect knowledge and even if we tried with all of our might, okay, which we did, right? We tried for centuries to keep God's law. Even if we had the perfect knowledge and the perfect drive, we still can't be righteous, so what do we do? Hey, well, the entire point of the gospel, the reason we're here this morning, the reason we took communion a few minutes ago, is because we believe that Jesus did it for us. Okay, and the resulting life that we now live, we don't live it by our own human nature. Instead, we now live by the Spirit of God. Okay, and that's Romans chapter 8. Okay, and I want us to read the first part of this chapter, and as we read this, I want you to notice how many times Paul talks about the Spirit. Okay, this entire text is about you want to live righteously, it happens by the Spirit of God Almighty. Notice verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Okay, so notice what Paul's saying. All right, having the right knowledge is important. Okay, we want to know what's right and wrong. Okay, also having determination and willpower matters. If we don't want the things of God, we'll never be righteous. Okay, but true righteousness, true holiness, comes when we learn how to live by the Spirit. Okay, true righteousness and holiness is all about having the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Right, if there's one thing you're writing down on your notes, if there's one thing you're going to remember from the sermon this morning, let it be that. It is all about whether or not you and I have the Spirit of God living in us. If we have that Spirit, everything's great. If we do not have the Spirit of God living in us, then nothing else, no matter how much knowledge we have, no matter how much determination we have, none of it matters. It starts and ends with whether or not you have the Spirit of God Almighty living in you. Now, Paul says, because of the spirit that lives in you, there are several implications, and those are what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. Okay? Uh, we'll start with the first three, and then we'll continue on with this next Sunday. Okay, but the first thing Paul says, Romans 8, when we have the spirit living inside of us, we are free from condemnation. Okay, and if you've got your Bible open, you notice that chapter 8 forms one distinct unit in the letter to the Romans. Okay, the very first sentence of this chapter and the very last sentence of this chapter parallel each other. They go together, and the whole thing is teaching us that since we have the Spirit in us, we are free from condemnation. Okay, notice that first sentence. He says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, skip down. Notice the last sentence in this chapter. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Okay, we'll talk about that verse more in a few weeks, but I want you to notice this whole chapter is about we are free from condemnation. I think if we just believed the first sentence and the last sentence of Romans 8, it would change the way we live. What do you and I have to be afraid of? Well, if the Spirit of li- if Jesus is living inside of us, there's nothing we have to be afraid of. Why? Because again, our whole life starts and stops with, are you a temple of the living God? Does God dwell in you? We are free from condemnation. If God's spirit is living inside of you, there's absolutely nothing we ever need to fear because nothing can hurt us in the ultimate ways that matter. That's the gospel. Do we get that? All right, I want to tell you a story about Lou Johnson. Uh, Lou Johnson was the hero of the 1965 World Series. He was the one who hit the winning home run in Game 7. Immediately, he became hero of Dodgers fans everywhere. Unfortunately, not long after his championship run, his life took a tragic turn. Uh, In the late 60s and early 70s, he became addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, And in 1971, he lost his 1965 World Series championship ring to a group of drug dealers. Uh, At that point in his life, he was selling everything of wealth that he had to support his habit. Later on in life, uh, Lou Johnson sobered up and he began working as a community relations employee for the Dodgers, which didn't pay a whole lot, but it was a job and it was a job that he could hold. He was just barely getting by. In 2001, at the age of 66, that championship ring from the 1965 World Series showed up on eBay. And the president of the Dodgers, a man named Bob Grazino, uh, bought the ring for $3,400 and gave it as a gift to Johnson. When Johnson got the ring back, he immediately just broke into tears. And he said it felt as if a missing piece from a happier time of his life had finally been returned to him. I like that story. I like that story for a lot of reasons. Um... In the first place, did Johnson lose his ring through his own life choices? Yes. Did he deserve to lose it? Yes, it was his own choice. Did he have the ability to get that ring back for himself? No. Okay, did he get it back because someone else who did have the means took compassion on him and got it back for him as a gift with no expectation of repayment? Yes. Okay, you see where I'm going with this, right? The story of the gospel is that we lost our relationship with God because of our own choices. We deserved it. It was our own brokenness that lost our relationship with God. But Jesus loved you enough that he bought it back for you with his own life. And Paul's point in Romans chapter 8 is that because of this gospel story, because Jesus loved you enough to do something for you that you could never do for yourself, we now have the Spirit of God living inside of us and nothing can ever take away that relationship again. It's been restored. We are in a loving relationship with God Almighty and I don't care what else happens in my life or your life, nothing will ever change that foundational most important fact. We have confidence and we have assurance because of Jesus. All right, number two. 
When we live by the Spirit, not only do we have that confidence of, of freedom, but we also have life and peace. We have life and peace. Notice verse 6. Because Paul paints quite a contrast in this chapter. He says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, currently, there is a movie in production. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is the one making this movie. He will star in this movie. I don't know when it's coming out, but in the near future. And the movie's based on a book called The Devil in the White City, which is a true story. Uh, it's based on the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, which was a monumental event for the United States. Okay, that World's Fair, this was the first time, really, that the rest of the world recognized the United States as a true first world power. This was really the first time the United States was able to say, we are on equal footing with all of the other great countries around the world. People from all over the world came to Chicago in 1893. All right, and the story in this book, Devil in the White City, is about two of the most interesting men who took part in the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. Okay, the first one was a man named Daniel Burnham. Uh, he was an architect. And he turned a section of Chicago into what became known as the White City in order to host the fair. Okay, he overcame massive challenges. He built more than 200 buildings in less than two years. Okay, the largest of those buildings had more space than the U.S. Capitol, the Great Pyramid in Egypt, Winchester Cathedral, Madison Square Garden, St. Paul's Cathedral all combined. This was huge. He's considered one of the most talented architects to ever live, and when he died in the early 20th century, his architecture firm was the largest in the entire world. Okay, the story of what this man accomplished was amazing. Okay, parallel to his story, though, the second character in the book uh, is a man named Dr. H.H. H. Holmes. Okay, and while all of this building was going on, uh, just a few blocks away, Dr. Holmes built a hotel it was three stories high, one block long, and he named it the World's Fair Hotel. Holmes designed it himself. Uh, he had different crews build different sections of the hotel. He kept firing crews and hiring new ones to do the next section so that nobody would know everything that was in that hotel except for him. Okay, and I can't even tell you all of the things he put in that hotel because it's Sunday morning and I'm preaching. Okay, but in this hotel... Uh, there were stairways that went to nowhere. There were false elevators. There were trap doors, doors that only opened from one side. He also had all sorts of torture devices within this hotel. And he used this hotel as a location where he could lure men, women, and children and then kill them in horrible ways. Okay, when he was finally executed, he, admitting, he admitted to killing 27 people in his hotel. Uh, but they found evidence of many more, several over a hundred people actually died in that hotel. Uh, and in the about two years this was in operation, about 200 people disappeared in this exact area. It's just an interesting story. It's going to make a great movie, right? Okay, and I tell you this story because we read Romans 8, 5 through 8, and it presents such a contrast Okay, just like the one that happened in the World's Fair. On the one hand, you had genius, okay, and on the other hand, you had complete depravity. 
Okay, Romans 5 through 8, Paul says, if you have the Spirit, you have life and peace and freedom and joy. On the other hand, though, it is the complete opposite. If we live by the flesh, we have death, separation from God, and chaos and suffering. Okay, and the way Paul describes this, there is no middle ground. Okay, either we will be disciples of Jesus and have the Spirit of God that lives in us and gives us this peace and this life and this freedom, or we will live by the flesh and have all of the opposite of that. There is no middle ground. We are either followers of Jesus or we're not. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, which grants us life and peace, and there is no life and peace without it. All right, number three. Final thing in this section is that Paul teaches very clearly that the Spirit lives in us. Okay, the Spirit lives in us. All right, we're going to read these three verses again, uh, 9, 10, and 11. And I want you to notice just how many times Paul hammers home the point that the Spirit of God lives in us. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives where? In you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is where? Then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you, right? Uh, Paul's making sure we get this point. Okay, the Spirit lives in you. You know, there's lots of different ways that we can look at the entire Bible as a whole book. There's several different meta-narratives that, that run throughout the whole Bible. You can look at the covenant. You can look at the Messiah. You can look at lots of different things that really span the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, but one of the big meta-narratives of Scripture, one of the biggest things that you can see throughout the entire Bible is the way that God as a holy God, is going to dwell amongst us because we are not a holy people. Okay, one of the biggest challenges of Scripture is how will a holy God dwell with us? Okay, and it changes as we go throughout the Bible. Okay, at the very beginning, we had stage one of this where God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? Just think about how cool it would be. At the end of the day, you go on a walk with God every day. Okay? They had perfect communication. God and man were together. Okay? Stage two, though, we are separated from God. Right? Remember the story of Genesis 3? We eat from the tree. There's now a cherubim holding a flaming sword, keeping man from God. Okay? Stage three, this is what we're talking about in Sunday morning Bible class. God dwells in a tent and then later in a temple. Right? We start with the tabernacle, then we have the temple. And one of the things that's very significant about that story when we get to that stage is that we have the nation of Israel and they always put God at the center, right? Jerusalem's in the center of the nation. Okay, the tabernacle was in the center of the camp and we surround that and God is very literally in us, right? As a people. Okay, later, God tabernacles amongst us in Jesus, Okay, in John chapter 1, it talks about the Word became flesh, and literally in Greek it says, and tabernacled amongst us. Okay? How did we have the presence of God? Jesus came to earth to be with us. Okay, now, we get to live in stage 5. 
Okay, Paul makes it very clear that after Jesus has gone back to be with God, the way that we are with God is that God literally dwells within us. We talk about how our bodies are temples. What are they temples for? It's the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. Okay, what it means when we've been baptized with Christ, we've been placed in Christ, is that Christ now dwells in us. His Spirit is in us. Again, your life begins and ends with whether or not you have God's presence in you. Whether or not the Spirit of God Almighty dwells in you. We've been given a tremendous privilege as children of God to be able to have God with us, to have God's Spirit with us that enables us to be righteous even when we're not a very righteous people. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life, uh, especially if you've never come to know Jesus as Lord, if you've never accepted his spirit into your life, if you've never put him on in baptism. We would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, this song is a time for you, um, and before we sing it, we will have a word of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.